Hey, everyone, and welcome to another Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco. Thanks again for being a part of this journey. Excited to bring in my guest today, Everett Harper, who is the CEO and co-founder of Trust, a human-centered software development company named as an Inc. 5000 fastest-growing private company for 2020 and 2021. He is a rare combination of a black entrepreneur, Silicon Valley pet. Silicon Valley pedigree, national champion, and a proven record for solving complex problems with social impact. In his new book, Move to the Edge, Declare It Center, Everett shares effective methods for decision-making during uncertain, stressful times and techniques for managing personal anxiety, a crucial leadership skill. So without further ado, let's welcome in Everett Harper. Everett, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you, man. Hey, how are you doing? I'm glad to be here, and and thanks to everybody listening um, for coming with us for a couple hours, uh, a couple minutes. It always spans the potentially could be hours down the road. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> we'll see how these move. Um, but yeah, ever excited to have your story, your story shared because it's always interesting. The folks I have on is, you know, we can always look at where you're at today. But what gets forgotten sometimes is all the hurdles, whether it's mental or physical, you know, that you have to jump to get to the moment, you know, they're kind of there's no such thing as an overnight success, all the things you had to go through. So I'm curious if we can start there to kind of level set with everyone listening in. All of us have different moments, inflection points in our life that have changed us from kind of where we maybe thought we used to be like, hey, this is what I want to be when I grow up type thing to where we're at today. Could you share, is there a moment or two you really remember that what, as a focal point carved you off of one path you're on and put you on a totally different one that led you to what you're doing today? Yeah. Um, the one I thought about was uh, post working at a company called Linden Lab. Linden Lab made the first uh, very large uh, virtual world. And in fact, uh, the Wall Street Journal to, in this week started a podcast about Linden Lab. It's about 20 years old, so way ahead of its time for good and bad reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, after I was there as director of uh, customer acquisition, and I'd started um, a wine app um, and developed a product that actually won a Webby Award, but the business didn't work. And I started to think, I need to figure out what my next step is. I was consulting a little bit, but the key thing was I saw people like their engineers uh, in particular who always could find a job. It was clear what they had, clear what they did, clear what value they got that you get from it. Mm-hmm. Somebody like me who has founded some things, uh, I'm in marketing, but it's not brand nor advertising. What do I do? What is my value here? Could somebody look at me and say, oh, I know exactly where to put you. I have to figure out what to do with that because if the right company, that's great. But if I'm looking for a job, a lot of people would mistake me for something else and it would not be a good fit. So I really went to some introspection and tried to figure out, and the word that came to my mind was I need a vapor trail. I need to both create and catalog the things that I've done in a way that makes sense to others, but also has a through line of where I want to go in the future. So I bought my name as URL. I didn't have anything to put it, but I bought it anyway, because I knew I wanted to do something with it. And what it started me thinking about was I needed to figure out how I can put what I do in the context of building services and products and connecting to customers. 
and that was really the core of sort of what I thought I had to offer the world. And um, I can tell you the sort of what happened after that, but in terms of that moment, it was that moment of, I don't know, oh, I forgot. I was 40, 43 at the time. So it's not like I have unlimited time to create that vapor trail. And so I need to get with it. And so that created a little bit of urgency about what I should do and how to do it. Do you remember like in that time, so being 43 and obviously leading the, your Linden lab and stuff, what were you like, if we went back like 10 years before that, was, your, yeah. was your mindset just, hey, I'm just gonna keep working up the corporate ladder. I'm gonna kind of test some things and maybe I'll start this. Like, did you always, did you want to always start businesses? Like what was the, what was the thought process as you were younger kind of growing up into your, you know? Yeah, adult? yeah. I'll go, I'll go two steps further even. Uh, I was a biomedical and electrical engineer undergrad at Duke. Uh, and I was taking my first sophomore year class, really difficult class. Um, and I was struggling. The night before the second final, uh, there was a concert, it was Prince, the time and Benny Six is right after Purple Rain. It was the hottest ticket, and I had one. It was the night before a test. And I gave the ticket away. Studied, still struggled. My friend, who was my roommate, came back, had a great time. He says, You're still struggling with this problem? I said, Yeah. And he just looks at it and goes, Zip. And there it was. He just could unpack it. And then he fell asleep. And in that moment, I realized two things. One, I'm not a born engineer. I could work really hard, but I can't see it. So if I'm trying to figure out how to stay with this major, I got to figure out something else to do. But I don't see the pattern. It didn't come easy to me. Um, and the second uh, was if I don't know the answer the day before, just go to the concert <laughs> because you're not going to learn it at the last minute. Turns out it was a very difficult test. I didn't do well again. Um, and I sort of got my grades up towards the end. But I, I learned two very valuable lessons out of that. And so going forward in career, what it started me thinking about was, what are the things that I can see that other people can't? What are the things that seem easy to me that for other people seems incredibly difficult? And that might start to give me some clues about what I should be doing. What are the things that I'm really skilled at? And what are the, what are, how does that intersect with what I'm uh, that what brings me joy or confidence and yeah. so forth. Yeah, it's interesting perspective um, going that route because because I find that a lot of folks and I you know I probably you know part of this group as well. You kind of take a job or a career path because you know that that's what my parents did or that's what people wanted me to do or man maybe engineering was that for you potentially like you got into that because people said oh you'd be good at this you know exactly exactly you know and so how we actually get off of it and do something different is a hard thing because like career change is like, that's what our identity is. Is, is there any yep. coaching you give for folks maybe that are in that period right now? Um, yeah. To, to how to think about it differently. I mean, again, maybe it's not that they leave their job tomorrow, but like maybe they could start to think about maybe a different path forward down the future. Yeah. Um, there, there are a lot of different uh, techniques a lot of different uh, exercises that I would coach on. A lot of them actually I put in the book um, because it's about aligning with your sense of purpose, with what your skills are, what brings you joy, and not in sort of an intellectual way, or not only in an intellectual way, but one about how do you feel when you are doing a task? Um, do you lose yourself for hours and hours? 
So I think um, there's lots in there, but I think two specific ones. One is as much as you can, save enough money to either take a sabbatical, small break, or between jobs, don't take the next job immediately. Here's why. Uh, what I do actually, I try and get out of the country and it scrambles my brain to try and figure out how to speak a different language, even if I'm one that's familiar. When I come back, I can look at my life much more clearly because I've had that contrast. And it's amazing what happens, things that I never want to do again, things I want to clear out. And the key one is this. Uh, most people go from job to job and jobs ask you to give the same sort of skill. But if that's not the skill you want to give, you might get better and better at the skill you detest more and more. And I found an effective way to do that is you have to cleave it and identify, I am great at this. I was great at spreadsheets, but I never want to make that my calling card again. But here's another tool in my toolbox. This is what I'd want to show the world this time. So maybe I take a small class, maybe I change my resume, maybe I just lead in who I am in my story slightly differently. And I stop saying I'm a like I'm numbers crunching, detail oriented. And I start to say, say things like, I see patterns differently. I can really think about trends. I'm really great face-to-face -face with presentations and see how the world reacts to that. That's the way that I, I switched kind of what my identity was to what I wanted it to be over many iterations. And now here I am, yeah. I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing. Well, and one of the other things you mentioned there too about you know kind of picking out, hey, these are things you're good at but they might not be, you know, showstoppers on a resume where like it, you know, it jumps, someone's gonna be like, Hey, I got to hire that person. I find also taking a step back is hard for people because maybe you have yeah. promoted. And if you, yeah, if you go the other path, you might have to take a step or two back, but that's uncomfortable for a lot of people to do, you know? Yeah. And, and I'd almost pull on that one thing about taking a step back, a step back on what scale and what ladder. If you're trying to define a different ladder, it may not be a step back at all. It might be a step forward or a step up or a minimum ladder, lateral. But the key is defining that next ladder, defining that, defining your one's own uh, career path. Um, and that, that I think is really where it starts is your own sense of purpose. Is it aligned? And then where are the opportunities that excite that or educate that or you can pursue mastery? in whatever you're looking for. And that's not on any corporate ladder. That's a personal decision. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point, actually, because if we, if we, you, what you mentioned this really kind of, uh, sparked in my, in my head was like, you know, if you're, if you're good at spreadsheets, but I don't want to do those, you know, that's not what I want to do in my next role. Yeah. If, if you were able to go into the future a few years, which you, you can obviously, but is that new kind of quote unquote step back that new role, how much more you can accelerate forward, not only in the job, but in happiness versus yep. staying on the same path. Sometimes we have a hard time seeing that in the moment, you know, of yeah. where that's going to go. Yeah, none of this, as I said, is is easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of forces, your paycheck, maybe family pressures, your boss, your career, that your identity. All of those are some ways competing for your attention to stay exactly where you are. But then there's this like heart's longing that says, wait, I, I think I want something different. Um, and you have to kind of listen to that. Yeah. Um, and there's ways to do it, but, uh, but uh, it, is, it is quite challenging. So with the, with the book, Move to the Edge to Clear It, Sent, like, why did this book need to be written now? Yeah. So um, I started it in, I've been 
thinking about complex problems for a decade, in part because Trust, my company, we do human-centered uh, software. We solve really hard problems. So we came in when healthcare.gov broke, and we were part of the team that fixed it. We've done work with large government agencies and Fortune 1000 companies, Fortune 50 companies. And a lot of these systems, these are complex problems. They're systems problems. Mm -hmm. And so the second part of that is there's lots of unknowns and uncertainty. And so we head into 2020, uh, 2020 we get pandemic in California, got lots of forest fires. Um, you had the shooting George Floyd. And I saw leaders being relatively ineffective in speaking to the problems of the times. Some were going and doubling down on what they've always done, assuming that, oh, it's just a tiny blip. Well, the pandemic should have taught everybody this is not a, a different blip. You have to think differently. Um, and so behind closed doors, when I'd ask folks, they said, hey, I don't know how to talk about George Floyd. I don't know how to speak about my personal uh, feelings about people losing property. And I was like, these are really successful people, but they're scared of doing the wrong thing. How do I, I, wait a minute, I have something to say about that. We've gone into not knowing and we have processes to help people manage through that. And then when taking their innovations or whatever they think of, how to scale it and how to make it sustainable and shareable and enable people to follow you. And most importantly, sustain one's effort because we saw how many people burnt out during the pandemic. So that was the urgency. Right when we need leadership most, people are feeling nervous and unable to act. So it's my little contribution to try and help folks have some tools to, to navigate that out on their own. Yeah, Andy, and maybe, maybe, I don't know how to say this exactly. It's, I, I at least saw my personal eyes, and this is through LinkedIn or other stuff you see, is not almost knowing how to act, but sometimes it came off, I don't know, lack of a better term, kind of fake and like, mm -hmm. you know, like it's almost like they felt they had to do something to, to get mm -hmm. some eyeballs. I don't know if you felt that same way about a lot of these companies. I saw, I saw a range of responses, lots that were really poor, no reason to call anybody in particular out, but they had some of that character or it's just silence and like, we are going to do exactly what we've been doing. There's no room for discussing blah, blah, blah thing. Back to work. And it's not, again, it's not say it's, e it's not easy, but as a leader, I'm sure all of us were trained from grade school. Who's got the right answer? Raise your hand, uh, say it loud, say it confidently, whatever. But we weren't trained to have the right question. And right now, when you're dealing with stuff that's unknown and uncertain, it's more important to say, hey, I don't know the answer. What are the important questions that I need to ask in order to get more information in order to make a better decision? Completely the reverse of what all our leadership and our management textbooks say, um, because it, it wasn't presented as a, as a, sorry, problems are presented as very liter, linear and very complicated. This is what the complexity research is, as opposed to dynamic and complex. And when you have one person applying a complicated linear framework to a complex problem, you get a disaster. If it's not for you, you get a disaster somewhere else in the system. And that's the crux of 
kind of looking at things a different way. Is there anything that leaders could do like to get started kind of thinking differently or, or steering their organization in a, in a better light, whether it's through a very uncertain, challenging time, maybe it's not as challenging, you know, who knows, right? But just in general, thinking differently than like, this is the way we've always done it. Yeah, I think there's, especially for people who are leading organizations, it could be leading a team, could be leading an organization. There's stuff that we don't know, right? Mm -hmm. We might say in a meeting, project confidence, but inside there's stuff that we don't know or we're not sure about, or we're making an assumption about. It's training the thinking to say, huh, I think I, I have a belief that that's true, but is there facts to back that up? If not, then I'm making an assumption and that's not a bad thing. And so if you write down certain key elements of making a decision, I believe this is true. There's no data, I'm making this assumption. It's really interesting because what happens often is saying, oh, wow, huh, that's a lot of assumptions that induce a lot of risk. Maybe I should get some more facts, not about everything, but about that specific point. For example, that's one way to start taking certainty and to start asking questions, you know, inquiring instead of being certain. Um, I think it's cultivating a lot, uh, experimental mindset is another kind of, uh, and there's processes and so forth about how to do discovery or how to do customer interviews, not to, not to reinforce an answer you already believe, but to challenge an assumption you have. Um, so there's tons of those types of things, but the, the key bit is to say, I don't know, and it's okay not to know the answer. People will follow you anyway. And in fact, you may unlock a lot of energy of people who've always been wanting, wanted to be asked, hey, I have an idea, I'd like to run with it, if you open up the space for me to express that. It's incredible how much you can do with an organization like that. Do you remember when, because I'm kind of thinking back myself of like when I came to the idea of like, wait, I don't know the answer, like, because growing up, you know, small town, kind of just that mindset or whatever. It's like, no, you can't, you know, I, I wrote a blog article about this recently, like the back of the class, you're talking about raising the hand. Like you, yeah. you, you, I, you, you almost wouldn't ask because you don't want to look like an idiot. And this whole idea of like, well, when you are talking, you're just like, you know, you might just pound your fist, but like, no, that's right. Even though you don't really have the, you don't really know. Yeah. I, so I'm, I, I've thought about, you know, how, you know, it's, yeah, it's been a handful of years, but like almost coming to the conclusion of, no, I probably don't know a lot about a lot, right? I don't, I don't know, but like being open to that and being vulnerable about yep. that versus the the um, the other self limiting belief I used to have. But so I'm kind of curious where I'm getting at is: Do you remember like when you started to think differently in that regard, or had you always been? Was that just part of your upbringing? You were around people that exposed that idea of like always, you know, being skeptical, thinking, being curious about things, and not thinking you knew it all. Yeah, there's a couple answers to that. It's a good question. Growing up, I think I was naturally curious. I wanted to know a lot of stuff. My favorite place to go was the library because I got two hours and the whole world is in the library. I just pick a letter and just go, right? Second, uh, growing up African-American um, in this country means that I see rules applied differently. I see uh, rules applied systematically differently. And so the assumption that the rules work for everybody in the same way 
had a pretty early understanding that that's not true. And in order to thrive, <clears throat> I needed to question certain things about the world work. Third, I think I'm a kind of psychology nerd. Um, I really like understanding how people, but also in relationship to each other. And so whether it's ethnography or social psychology or behavioral economics, all those things have at its core observing and asking questions. Hmm, what did I just see? What made you want to do that in non-judgmental ways? And it's amazing, again, if you ask really good questions, people give you great answers. And so I've always like appreciated that. Yeah, it's always interesting when you like, again, that curiosity that comes back, it's talked about a lot in this podcast, just like being curious, being open, asking questions. It's amazing what that could lead us to and not knowing, uh, you know, not not thinking we know the answer. Because I was kind of curious in, in, with some of the stuff, if I, and fact check me in this, I think I saw like, were you one of the early, your company was one of the early companies to do like remote work, right? Fully remote. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. I'm curious, like, how did you come to that conclusion at that time? It was what, 10 years ago or so. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, like, cause that's an out of the box thinking that's different than 99.9% .9 of companies in the world thought at that time. So I'm just like, those yeah. have, I'm curious if maybe, and maybe that's a story you can share, maybe something similar of like how yeah, you thought. Yeah, no, I'm happy to share that. Yeah. Like just how, how you got to the point of not thinking you knew it all and realize like, Hey, maybe let, let's expose this other opportunity and see if it fits, you know? Yeah. Um, so not knowing it all, I think there's, a, there's a lot, there's a, I mean, there's so many quotes of, of great masterful writers and James Baldwin was one. There's musicians say the same thing as you pursue mastery, the more that you pursue it, the more you realize you have no idea. There's so much more to learn so much more refinement. I think Bruce Lee has a similar kind of a statement. I wish I could quote it. So I think that mindset is actually really important. Uh, it's an, an epitome of growth mindset. Um, but the specific story about remote work. So Mark and myself started Trust uh, and, and we were starting with a product that was a mobile calendar. Jen, our now third co-founder, kind of joined kind of ad hoc to help build because we wanted to get to know each other and see if we could work together. Like, hey, she's great. Let's make her co-founder. Told her that and she said, that sounds great. Except my husband just got a um, fellowship to be in uh, Western Europe for the next 18 months, starting in the Balkans and going all the way up to Scotland. Do you think we can make that work? And we were like, okay, that's, that's not the answer I expected. Let's figure out how we can do it. And when it came down to it, it was three things. Pick a place to be that had great Wi-Fi. Two, show up on time. There's an integrity question. And three, show your work. So build this, build an interface where doing the work is visible to each other at any time. Uh, we use Pivotal Tracker. There's other plenty of other project management software, but the key bit is that you make your work transparent. And then we said, okay, let's see if it works. And if it doesn't work, we'll do something else. But it wasn't a big thing. It was three key decisions. But underneath that, and maybe we instinctively knew this, we were embodying some key values. Uh, one, flexibility and valuing the work being done rather than the appearance of the work being done. So, no, you, you can't go to Croatia. No, just do the work. Two, transparency. 
huge thing because people miss, but having it be transparent enables people to help or to say, hey, maybe you're blocked on something. Is there something I can unblock? Uh, and then I guess that there's integrity. We say we're going to show up, show up. That's what we started with. It started to work. And then we started to build systems to make sure we could sustain our momentum. So can we scale that beyond three people to four people or to five people? Can we scale it not just Bay Area folks, but can we have somebody who's in another state? Oh, that's a new HR question. So we didn't try and build it all at once. We tried a small experiment and then we grew and we scaled. So in some ways, this is the move to the edge declared center. Move to the edge, let's be remote, but we were trying to solve a very simple problem. And declared center is, huh, that seemed to work. How do we build systems to scale? How do we build an infrastructure to scale and sustain and systematize what we've learned? Yeah, I like that. And, and I kind of, now, now that you're kind of explaining the move to the edge, I kind of like that is like, get uncomfortable a little bit. Like, let's, let's break outside here. Let's kind of test the waters. And then we realize, realize like, it's actually not that deep. It's not that bad. We, we were, we, mm -hmm. we made up, we made up stories in our head, which I, I could, I could imagine what a lot of companies do now that have had to go to remote work or now, Hey, we're bringing everyone back in the office. Like this whole tussle back and forth. It's just because they're unwilling to get uncomfortable with how a new world could look. Right. Would you agree yeah. with that? Yeah. Completely agree. Um, in particular, I think the, 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 the key fact is this, most of our ways of managing and leading have had a one core assumption that's been broken by the lockdown and pandemic. And that assumption is work take place, takes place in a building, whether it's in a factory or an office. How much of our, if you think about that, how much if you take that assumption away, that it changes things. And the pandemic was an enormous controlled experiment. The question is now, with that insight, do you go back to what you were before or do you try and learn from this experience to think about, is my management structure the right one? Because it didn't work when we were not in the same place. Why not? Uh, how do I make sure that I, if I'm spending hybrid time, I'm giving the right people the right amount of face time? And what is the right amount of face time anyway? It's a time to ask tons of questions rather than adopt policies based on what you used to know. Um, I think there's a tremendous opportunity. And frankly, I think some of the folks who uh, kind of forced return to the office found out by people leaving the company that the deal is not the same. They didn't accept that life is exactly where it used to be. Again, an opportunity for great leaders who are creative to ask more questions. Yeah. Yeah. It goes back to like this whole adage of like, yeah, we're, we want to do the same thing we're used to do it. Let's try to paint it a little different, you know, like, oh, we're going to have one work yeah. remote yeah, yeah, day yeah. or we're going to do this or that. And instead of just saying, yeah, I, I guess I like your thought of like, let's kind of blow up the whole thing. Let's put the pieces back together in a different way that works for the staff that we have now. And let's see what works. And I think even what you mentioned before, kind of, start small with it, maybe, maybe have a, yes. a core group to test it out, see what works, see what doesn't. Um, and and it could, I could almost see it too, you know, being in as a sales professional, like, you know, sales may work different than another part of the company, there may be different things, it doesn't have to be a one size fits all either, especially for large organizations, right, that have That's a lot right. of moving parts, and it's just figuring That's out right. what works best for you. 
you know yep. I, I, do you like the inclusion of um bringing the employees in you know of the of the staff whether it's surveys or whatever to kind of get their take or do you like it hey leadership's got to make decisions that are best for the organization and do it that way what, do you have an approach that you like of like how do you make a decision because that's a large massive change for a lot of people yeah so there's some there's some key components of this. Some are in tension with each other. And I think the tension's important. One is the people doing the day-to-day -day work often have the most contact with the nature of either the opportunity or the problem, right? Mm -hmm. They have the most information. Now they may not have the right amount of context around which to make a decision, but maybe not, but maybe so. So with that, those two principles in mind, how do I as a leader create more context for employees to make their own decisions rather than me try and make a decision about details and data that I am actually fairly far from? And then the employee goes and cleans it up with the client because I basically uh, said something that insulted them, for example, because I don't understand certain happens all the time. So we lean more on that. The second thing I think is important, though is there are times where leaders have to make clear decisions and make clear guidelines. Here's the framework where we're going to be operating. Here's the goals and the purpose that we have. And then we have to communicate well so that employees understand, here's the expectations, here's what I'm trying to, to accomplish, but how I do it, I might have the better idea. So it's that dynamic between context and specificity that I think good organizations navigate well. And we're still learning how to do it. And I personally always uh, am continuing to learn how to do it better. Yeah. What's a big problem you're seeing currently, like maybe with your business or that you're trying to get ahead of? Maybe others haven't. Maybe it's, you know, they're, they're a year or two away, but they will eventually. Is there something you guys are dealing with now that you'd be willing to share? Sure. Um, as a remote company, we had lots of structures to you know work, and we have people in 30 uh, different states, and we support their healthcare. We have full benefits. I mean, it's it's a pretty a comprehensive thing that we do to support employees. Um, but a challenge has been over the two years, we've had to cancel two offsites. So there are people who have been at the company who have never met anybody else that they're working with. We're now at 140 people. The last offsite we had was 60. That was in 2019. How do you uh, like make a commitment, but um, some people can't, they're, they're immunocompromised. Some people are just uh, scared to travel. Um, some people are taking care of folks who are in, in immunocompromised. So what's the best way to get everybody together? Because we know it's important. So what we're doing is actually doing some experiments. We're having teams get together. We're having uh, practices get together. Uh, we have engineering and product and design, and they get together in small groups. And we have regional ones. Um, whenever I'm traveling, I go see and, and buy dinner or buy lunch for a group of uh, people at the company. We'll learn some things about how to get everybody together based on these experiments. Um, so that's a big challenge for us right now. So. I mean, I could kind of take this question in a variety of different ways, but if someone's getting started today, yeah, you could put your leader hat on, you can put your you know co-founder hat on, you can put your author hat on. I'll, I'll let you pick where you want to go. You can take all of them if you want. 
if someone's getting started, what encouragement would you share with them? Maybe it's a quote you live by. Maybe it's something you've learned through your journey to kind of get them out the gates um, a little bit faster, a little bit more um, thoughtful, I guess, in their approach. Yeah. Um, so I think the first is test your ideas. Um, and that means like talking about it, even when it's at its fragile state, it might mean doing a paper prototype. It might be designing a, a website that uh, a light website that has some interaction. Because when you actually test it, the process of, of doing something, releasing something is really exciting. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It could be something you work on on a weekend. But getting feedback from your audience about whether it's good or bad is even better if you have the right mindset. It is so tragic when you pursue ideas that didn't have any legs because you didn't test it early enough. Hmm. And then you build from there. So that's the first thing. Second is if you're getting funding, you're raising money from venture or from debt from a bank, know the math, know their math is critical. Uh, funding, when, when they're expecting X amount of, of growth and X amount of uh, return to their investors, you start doing the math differently and you start doing the timing differently. A funding event in a lot of ways is a clock starting to tick, not a celebration or a press release. So if you get your head around that, then you understand the urgency of moving and, and make good decisions about whether you actually want that kind of funding. We didn't take venture funding for a bunch of different reasons, but I've been in companies that have that didn't play that game very well. So that's really key. I think the third is uh, something I remember hearing when I was starting a couple of companies was, you don't have an original idea. <laughs> yeah. uh, 10 people are doing the same thing, but here's the deal. Six of them only dream it. They're only thinking about it. They talk about it with some friends. Two of them, they're tinkering a little bit, but it just goes there. One is starting to build some things, maybe getting a little bit of, of ideas and traction. You want to be the 10th person, the 10th person who says, I'm actually working on it. I am building something. I'm making progress. I'm making a commitment. And if it doesn't work, I'm also disciplined enough to say, no, that isn't a good idea. But it's nothing about original. It's not about original. And if you are the right 10th person, you're going about and testing your ideas and getting new information. So that original idea then starts to, to get tweaked and you're really onto something that is much more specific and much more defensible. Yeah. And one question on that with the test your ideas, because I, I have this a lot. And I guess probably I went through this even with the podcast. It took me two years to start because I was like, oh, yeah, like, what am I going to do the podcast on? And I'm not good enough yeah. and all that stuff was with testing the ideas like. I don't know if there's an exact answer to this, but just your thoughts of like when to say, OK, this is good enough. This idea I want to do, I need to start and I need to at least put some effort behind it versus yeah. those six people that are only just thinking about it and coming up with every way to stall, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've been there. Uh, most people I know have been there. Like it, this is this is not because I invented this because I remember stalling on various ideas, right? Um, there's a couple of things I think is, you know, I guess the Reed Hoffman quote, if you're not embarrassed by your first release, you've released too late. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're not good enough. It just means getting started. 
Um, there's, I remember, so my book, I started writing Forbes columns or different columns in 2013, 14, and then a regular Forbes column in 15, 16, and then did a speech in 2017, and now the book comes out in 2022. That's a long journey. But I was starting to write and I'd find my audience. That's what writer friends told me. You will find your audience if you just put it out there, see how people interact, do it again. Oh, what, they're doing the same thing. Oh, okay, now I know what they care about. You can't know off the top of your head. Um, it's, it's, there's a humility with just admitting, going back to the thing you said earlier, saying, I don't know, but how would I find out? Let me try something. Yeah. Keep asking questions. Right. That's right. Yeah. Everett, man, this has been a lot of fun. Um, uh, where can everyone say hello online? They want to uh, catch up with you. Yeah. Hey. Um, well, first, I'm, I'm uh, honored and flattered to to be on this podcast. I'm excited to have people interact. Uh, part of the reason to write the book is to start new conversations about how this could be applied in different ways. So uh, I have a website personal, which is everettharper.com. I have um, my company is called Trust dot works t-r-u-s-s dot works and so you can learn a lot about our company and who we help and what we do and i'm really proud of this incredible diverse group of folks across different disciplines uh, doing great work uh, on behalf of our clients um i'm on linkedin and ig everett harper uh, everett harper so it's all the same uh so that's the best place to find me Awesome, Everett. Well, man, I appreciate this, this is a lot of fun and uh, appreciate your uh, insight and all this and uh look forward to catching up with you again soon Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on and asking really, really good questions. Appreciate it. Hey, everyone. And just one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you're enjoying this podcast and are looking for other resources and tools to help you get started and move forward toward a happier and more fulfilling life, then I'd encourage you to head over to my website, brianondraco.com, and hit the subscribe button in the upper right corner. There you can find my newsletter and blog subscriptions where I share insights and information around getting unstuck, perspective, mindset, relationships, habits, and much more. If you get a chance to sign up, I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening in and have a phenomenal day.